Welcome back to another episode of the IFC's Individuation Podcast. My name is James Malamus, and we've got a great episode for you. Today, we welcome back Dr. Eric Tomlinson and Dr. Lisa Hong, this time to continue discussing the anima and chapter 19 of Archetypal Symbols and Fairy Tales by Marie-Louis Franz. It's a great discussion, and we can't wait for you to hear it. If you enjoy the IFC's Individuation Podcast and want to support, make sure to rate the podcast five stars on iTunes and wherever you get your podcast. So without any further ado, Dr. Al Samurai, take it away. Welcome back to another episode of the IFC's Individuation Podcast. We've been away for a little bit and we are back and the group is here. Dr. Lisa Hong is with us as always and Dr. Eric Tomlinson is with us. So uh, today we are going to flip the chapter. We are on chapter 19 of von Franz's incredible book and her journey into the archetypal symbols and fairy tales. This is going to be our last chapter. So the magical daughter, the anima. Um, The character of the mystery of the woman appears in fairy tales with divine and demonic or animal attributes. Most of the stories point to a wonderful way in which this phenomena emerging from the other side enters into which this phenomena emerging from the other side enters into the life of a person, such as when the fairy tale hero gains a human wife who was related to the magical realm as in Lucky Andrew, or simply a beautiful woman who comes from the magical realm and follows the human into his world, as in the pegged Arisi bird. Although her magical features transcend the human, her appearance can only be hinted at with words such as beautiful. It is expressly clear that despite her otherworldly origins, she stands in close relation to humans. She also corresponds to the female figure of the soul that tends to occur in the dream of men to whom Jung gave the name anima. She embodies the psychological, the irrational and often unconscious feeling in a man that sometimes can give rise to a illogical effects. At the same time, like the figure of the shadow, this female figure personifies the unconscious with both its friendly and threatening content. She is to some the extent the image of his unknown, unconscious psychic character, which is related to his conscious attitude in a complementary way. And that is how uh, chapter 19 starts in Mary Louise von Franz's Archetypal Symbols and Fairy Tales. Um, This is what we're gonna jump into is this, this archetypal character called the anima and how she runs into um, the human psyche, the male psyche in this case. Um, Yeah, and doesn't this Lahab, Dr. Lahab, go into the whole ideas of the unconscious and conscious and what is known and unknown to the self and all the combinations that arise in those those two uh, concepts? Yeah, so um, in our past discussion, Lisa, if you remember, we did the image of the demonic sun, the shadow. So the image of the demonic sun is also what we call the animus, which is the masculine figure that um, uh, 
populates the interior of the unconscious for the feminine, according to Jungian stories. So I'm not going to mix you up with my own story, but we'll just stay with the Jungians. This is what von Franz is talking about. She says she embodies the anima. She embodies psychologically the irrational and often unconscious feelings in a man that sometimes can give rise to illogical affects, which makes him act out. She's not saying that the feminine is irrational. She's not saying that the feminine um, is um, is not embodied. Sorry, or illogical. Yeah, illogical, irrational, illogical. They're not those things. Yeah, she's she's not intending to mean it that way. What she's saying is that the uh, conscious mind of the male is so far removed from the archetypal energy of the anima that it it picks up um, like if you were listening to radio from far away, you're just picking up leaps of words or even like letters like A. You're, you're not picking up the entire broadcast. You're too far away from it. So the more you individuate, the closer you get to your anima and the closer the anima speaks through you instead of you um, acting out what you think it wants to say. So usually uh, an, an example of this would be to have a temper tantrum for a male, to keep stomping your feet. If you're seeing a kid, little kid, they're close to their anima. So they will, they will play it out. They will stomp their feet, they will cry, they will yell, right? So in society, that is not looked at as masculine. That would be, that's why it's irrationally logical because it goes against what the society wants or demands. So two different things. One is the anima as an archetypal structure and an unconscious archetypal structure, meaning that's far, far away from our consciousness. The other is its force, its effect, its energy moves us through the world. When we fall in love with something, when we want to touch something, when we want to smell something, when we feel like when we want to put our head down on something, right? She is not the mother because the mother is a different archetype. The anima is more like the lover. It's the complementary opposite of what you are. So if you're really masculine, your anima would be really, really kind of caddish, like playful. And if you're really kind of um, playful and kind of out there and you like to like listen to your voice and you sing and your anima is going to be harsh. She's going to have like a rough voice. It's complimentary. Right. So Jung figured that the archetypes in the psyche complement each other. So we have the anima, we have the animus, we have the shadow, we have the ego, we've talked about the persona. And so we're talking about all these archetypal structures that exist the father, the mother, the great father, the great mother, 
the complexes. Okay? Mm -hmm. But the anima is an archetype. It's not a complex. Mm -hmm. Although they refer to it as a complex, it's not a complex. It's an archetype. It's pure it's energy. More of a tonal archetype. Yes. <laughs> Mm -hmm. An effective archetype. It takes mm -hmm. you, it mm -hmm. moves you, it sways you, mm -hmm. it makes you feel certain things. As as males age, they become more and more feminine. That's the anima. They're getting closer to their anima. And so their anima, what, what looks as more feminine to men, looks childish to women because they have a more... Um, a more integrated perspective of what it is to be feminine. So these aspects are hard to see and play, but they're always there. They're always coming out in different ways. So with that, uh, does anybody want to say hi to our listeners? We've been away for a while, so I just wanted to get us going. Sure, let's continue. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Eric. Hi, <laughs> Eric. What's up, man? I want to welcome everybody back. We're just all trying to understand ourselves better, and we hope this podcast helps you to do that. Okay. Has it worked on you? It has, as a matter of fact. I love it. I and love I, it. I'd, I'd, love, I'd love to make a very, very tiny, short appeal to our listeners. A short appeal, yes, please. Uh, yes, it won't be a soliloquy. So don't okay, worry. well, we've, we've heard <laughs> you say short before. So our experience <laughs> of you and short are, okay, anyway. I just wanted to tell our listeners that I think, I believe our main goal, one of our main goals in this podcast is to help you explore yourselves in a, in a deeper way. Because as I have learned in recent times, that the more I explore myself, especially with help, the more I understand who I really am and, and, and what I really need to become. And one thing that that's done for me is it's made me feel more liberated. And, and a byproduct of that liberation is a personal, a sense of personal satisfaction. And I don't know anyone that doesn't want to feel within themselves as a human being liberated and more personally satisfied. And I just will encourage anybody to keep listening, to contact Dr. Lahab, to, to, to experience or explore this JAMP process, the one that I've gone through in the last six months. It will help you achieve what I just stated. So that's my little, that's my little blurb that I wanted to say. Thank you for allowing me. Thanks, sir. Um, please say you want to a soliloquy of your own? Uh, me, 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 me. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I'm just having great fun just um, talking about this stuff and having um, peers as yourselves for me to use language about these thoughts and feelings that I have and put them someplace. And it's um, yeah. really, it's, yeah. it's really great. Yeah. You know, she's fascinating. Is she not? She's she's kind of like taking us on a whirlwind tour. I can't believe we've gotten through so much of her work. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a really dense book. Mm -hmm. Yes, it um, is. 
this is chapter 19. It's like the last chapter, but the last chapter is like 100 pages or so. So we have plenty of material to work off of. Um, the anima and the animus. These are controversial figures. Uh, figures. They're not figures, really. They're kind of gods, you know. Um, so they're godlike figures. That's what they're like. Well, so, let's go to a story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, Lisa, are you going to yeah. read us a story about um, the Chinese fairy tale, the flower yes, elves? The flower elves. We're just going to just. So, this is on page 386. If our, any of our listeners want to follow us, mm -hmm. uh, Lisa's going to read our um, synopsis, the short story here. Yeah, here's the heart. Do, 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 do. Okay. <laughs> we need music next time. We yeah. need <laughs> Here we go. Um, the flower elves. Once upon a time, there was a scholar who lived, retired from the world in order to gain hidden wisdom. He lived alone and in secret place. And all about the little house in which he dwelt, he had planted every kind of flower, bamboo, and other trees. There he lived quite concealed in his thick grove of flowers. With him, he had only a boy servant who dwelt, in a, who dwelt in a separate hut and who carried out his orders. He was not allowed to appear before his master unless summoned. The scholar loved his flowers as he did himself. Never did he set foot beyond the boundaries of his garden. It, would ch it once chanced that there came along a, a lovely spring evening Flowers and trees stood in full bloom, a fresh breeze was blowing, and the moon shone clearly. The scholar sat over his goblet and was grateful for the gift of life. Suddenly, he saw a maiden in dark garments come tripping up in the moonlight. She made a deep curtsy, greeted him, and said, I am your neighbor. We are a company of young maids who are on our way to visit 18 aunts, aunties. We should like to rest in this court for a while and therefore ask your permission to do so. The, the scholar saw that this was something quite out of the ordinary and gladly gave his consent. The maiden thanked him and went away. In a short time, she brought back a whole crowd of maids carrying flowers and willow branches. All greeted the scholar. They were charming with delicate features and slender, graceful figures. When they moved in their sleeves, a delightful fragrance was exhaled. There is no fragrance known to the human world which could be compared with it. The scholar invited them to sit down for a time in his room and asked their names and why he, he was granted their company. A maiden in a green gown said with a smile, my name is Salix. We are all sisters and we want to visit the 18 Zephyr, Zephyr ants today. A soberly clad servant suddenly announced, the Zephyr ants have already arrived. At once, the girls rose and went to the door to meet them. We were just about to visit you, ants, they said, smiling. This gentleman here had just invited us to sit for a moment. What a pleasant coincidence that you ants have come here too. This is such a lovely night that we must drink a goblet of nectar in honor of you, aunties. Thereupon, they ordered the servant to bring what was needed. An enchanted feast then ensued with the ants and the sisters who magically provided the most delicious food and most magnificent fruits. The moon shone brightly and the flowers exhaled intoxicating odors. 
After they had partaken of food and drink, the maidens rose, danced, and sang songs. The scholar did not know if he was on earth or in heaven. Then one of their rather cool aunts carelessly spilled some nectar on the dress of one of the sisters, Punicha. Punicha reacted angrily, uproar and insults followed, ending when the ants marched off and the sisters scattered themselves amongst the flower beds. On the evening, on the following evening, the maidens all came back again. We all live in your garden, they told him. Every year we are tormented by naughty winds, and therefore we have always asked the 18 ants to protect us. But yesterday Punicha insulted them, and now we've and and now we fear they will help us no more. But now we know that you have always been well disposed towards us, for which we are heartily grateful. And now we have a great favor to ask, that every New Year's Day you make a red scarlet flag, paint the sun, moon, and five planets on it, and set it up in the eastern part of the garden. Then we sisters will be left in peace and be protected from all evil. But since New Year's Day has passed for this year, we beg that you will set up the flag on the 21st of this month, for the east wind is coming and the flag will protect us against him. The scholar readily promised to do as they wished and the maids all said with a single voice, we thank you for your great kindness and we'll repay it. Then they departed and a sweet fragrance filled the entire garden. The scholar made a scarlet flag as described and when early in the morning of the day in question, the east wind really did begin to blow, he quickly set it up in the garden. Suddenly, a wild storm broke out, one that caused the forest to bend and broke the trees. The flowers in the garden alone did not move. Then the scholar noticed that Salix was the willow, Prunifera the plum, Persicha the peach, and the saucy Punicha the pomegranate, whose powerful blossoms the wind could not tear. The 18 Zephyr ants, however, were the spirits of the winds. In the evening, the flower elves all came and brought the scholar radiant flowers, flowers as a gift of thanks. You have saved us, they said, and we have nothing else we can give you. If you eat these flowers, you will live long and avoid old age. And if you, in turn, will protect us every year, then we sisters will also live long. The scholar did as they told him, and he ate the flowers and his figure changed and he grew young again, like a youth of 20. And in the course of time, he attained the hidden wisdom and was placed among the immortals. The end. Don Franz says a meeting with the anima figure does not always result in such a positive experience. However, especially when the human form is thereby altered, a Romanian fairy tale, Youth Without Age and Life Without Death, describes such an encounter. This is the next story. But in this story, we have the scholar. Who is the scholar in this story? The scholar is the searcher. The scholar is the magician in this story. The magician saw, uh, go on. Just call him, he is the prominent dominant archetype of, a, of an individual. Yes, the magician archetype. So in the magician archetype, the scholar saw that there was something quite out of the ordinary. The only way you notice something out of the ordinary is if you have a foresight, 
of the out of the ordinary. If you don't have foresight, then you don't have a way of looking at it. So that's the first thing that's early on in the story. The scholar saw that that was something quite out of the ordinary and gladly gave his consent. The maiden thanked him and went away. In a short time, she brought back a whole crowd of mates carrying flower, flowers and willow branches. All greeted the scholar. They were charming with delicate features, thunder. So they weren't like, they were more uh, like angels than they were figures of humans, mm -hmm. right? So when they moved their sleeves, a delightful fragrance was exhaled. You know, it's like angels, right? They, they move their, their sleeves, which is probably like their wings. The scholar invited them to sit down for a time in his room and ask their names and why he granted their company. A maiden in green gown said with a smile, my name is Salix. We are all sisters and we want to visit the 18 Zephyrans today. Okay, so this is a, a tale of heaven and earth. This is a tale of different forces in the world. The scholar, a soberly clad servant, suddenly announced the Zephyrans have already arrived because they are already anticipating who's looking for them. We were just about to visit you. Ants, they said, smiling. This gentleman here had just invited us to sit for a moment. So now we have two different groups, two different archetypal groups. The ants. These are the barren mothers. In stories from long ago, the ants are the barren mothers. They take care of the sisters' children. We were just about to visit you ants, they said, smiling. This gentleman here had just invited us to sit for a moment. What a pleasant coincidence that you ants have come here too. This is such a lovely night that we must drink a goblet of nectar in honor of you ants. Thereupon they ordered the servants to bring what was needed. So this is a magical get together, right? And they're having some magical things, nectar. An enchanted feast then, enchanted feast, right? It's not just a feast, it's an enchanted feast. It's a magical feast. Then, so if you watched Harry Potter and saw the food floating around, that would be an enchanted feast. That ensued with the ants and the sisters who magically provided the most delicious food, most magnificent fruits. So we're always amazed by fresh fruit or good food. This is uh, elemental for us as human animals. The moon shone brightly and the flowers exhaled intoxicating odors. So they controlled the earth and the moon. After they had partaken of the food and drink, the Median rose and danced and sang songs. The scholar did not know if he was on heaven or earth. 
Then one of the rather cool ants carelessly spilled some nectar on the dress of one of the sisters. So this is where it gets interesting. There's a little tussle going on. So the tussle is, is that she poured nectar on one of the dresses of one of the sisters. Puncha reacted angrily, uproar, insults followed, ending with the ants marched off and the sisters scattered themselves among the flower beds. So these, these godlike figures are at war. The scholar is stuck in between them, right? The magician is like, oh, what have I started? I thought this was going well. Then the next day they came back after hiding in the garden. They told him every year we are tormented by naughty winds. And therefore we have always asked the 18 ants to protect us. But yesterday Punka insulted them and now we fear they will help us no more. But we know that you have always been well disposed towards us, for which we are heartily grateful. And now we have a great favor to ask that every New Year's Day you make a small scarlet flag. So this is the ritual. This is the, the magical incantation. So what is the incantation? You make a small scarlet flag, paint the sun, the moon, and the five planets on it and set it up on the eastern part of the garden. So this is a symbol of the cosmos. It's a flag, the symbol of the cosmos, the planets, the sun and the moon. Then we sisters will be left in peace and will be protected from all evil. But since New Year's Day has passed for this year, we beg that we will set up the flag on the 20 past of this year, we beg that you will set up the flag on the 21st of this month. For the east wind is coming and the flag will protect us against him. So they're being terrorized by the winds. So other gods. So the scholar readily promised to do as they wished and the maids all said with a single voice, we thank you for your great kindness and we will repay it. So remember when we talked about early on in every story, we said, when you go into the unconscious, you cannot bring anything back. That is the rule. Except if you bring back wisdom, that's all you can bring back. You cannot bring back treasure. You cannot bring something back that you want to use for your own enrichment. You break the rules. Who set up the rules? The archetypes. So, then when we sister be left in peace, we'll be protected from all evil. The scholar readily promised to do as they wished, and the maids all said with a single voice, we thank you for your great kindness, and we will repay you. Then they departed and a sweet fragrance filled the entire garden. Right? You could be like fainting and you'll smell something and I'll bring you back. <gasps> right? You could pass out and then they break something under your nose and it's like wakes you up. I don't know what it is, but 
It's got to be Eric. Do you know what it is? Um, offhand, I don't. Yeah. Anyway, it stimulates you in a way that it wakes up your senses. So the sense of smell is really powerful for us. And they release this beautiful odor, right? So you're kind of awashed in um, almost a dreamlike state. So if you like put lavender on your pillow when you're trying to fall asleep, imagine that times 100. The scholar made a scarlet flag as described in one earlier the morning of the day in question. The east wind really did begin to blow. He quickly set up in the garden. Suddenly a wild storm broke out, one that caused the forest to bend and broke the trees. The flowers in the garden alone did not move. So the sisters are the flowers in the garden, right? That's where they disappear to. Every time they go into the garden, they disappear. They are the flowers. So then the scholar noticed that Selexa was the willow and Porn Porphyra, the plum, and Prishia, the, peace, the peach, and the saucy Puncha, the pomegranate, whose powerful blossoms the wind cannot tear. I don't know if you've tried it like pull pomegranate from a tree. It's really difficult. Fascinating. The 18 Zephyr ants, however, were the spirits of the winds. So the ants actually were the ones who had been terrorizing them. And the sisters did not know that. They've been trying to get the ants to protect them for a long time. But the ants are the ones who are terrorizing them. In the evening, the flower elves all came and brought the scholar radiant flowers as gifts of thanks. You have saved us, they said. We have nothing else we can give you. If you eat these flowers, you will live long and avoid old age. So they gave the fountain of youth. So if you look at it from each culture, there's a fountain of youth and the stories differ, right? It's the glass that, it's the, it's the glass that um, Jesus drank out of, it's the Holy Grail. And this is flowers that make him immortal. And if you in turn will protect us every year, then we sisters will also live long. So this is a mutual relationship that the gods need the magician for. So who would create the magician? Well, the gods would create the magician. Why would they create a magician? Because they're also gods who created the magician. So if we take Jung and von Franz and think about the psyche as complementary, then even the archetypes have complementary archetypes. They complement each other. They work together instead of against each other. That's the genius of Jung. The genius of Jung is he discovered that there are these, these forces unseen that actually complement our movement in the world, how we see things in the world, how we perceive the world, how we move into the world. That it's not our mechanism, it's not the horse and buggy 
It's not our physical body. It's these unseen forces, this energy, this archetypal energy that created everything. It still has a hand in playing with us. It needs us. According to the story, it needs us. We have to protect it. And thus it protects us. So when there is a imbalance in the world, then we're not doing something right. So the archetypal forces are at war. They no longer complement each other. So in this, the scholar did as they told him and ate the flowers and his figure changed and he grew young again like a youth of 20. In the course of time, he attained the hidden wisdom and was placed among the immortals. <clears throat> this is the anima. So it's not the feminine. It's mistaken for the feminine. It's not the feminine. It's an aspect of what we think of as feminine. So it's an aspect is not the thing. But we mistaken what that is because it's unconscious. In this story, it, um, the anima are the, these flower ladies and it's really his sisters. It's really yeah. interesting that um, their drive and desires and focus are really um, almost alienate the scholar. <laughs> they, 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 the only um, way that they actually are related and have overlap is their desire for a um, beautiful garden that's unadulterated. Mm. Um, and in that, in that sense, there they have the same um, d uh, priorities. It does prioritize a lot of things in his life. He did that and, and that's their, that is their existence, their being there. That's how they uh, fortify their spirit and the, for the sisters. And, and yet in that whole storyline, they don't really relate to the scholar too much except for that one Ooh. thing. Yeah. Because, <laughs> because they're gods mm -hmm. and they want to live as flowers. And but the scholar the doesn't know what to do because there are gods and they want to live as flowers. And so he's like, okay, uh, I guess, sure, I'll do that for you. But they knew what he desired and tonally in terms of his direction and what motivates him. They because made him a magician, offer. yeah. They made him an offer. They didn't say there was negative consequence, but they said, if you are here, then this is something you can do for as long as you'd like. Mm. Walked in that door, he, he ate the flower. Yeah, yeah, so he can see that they were not, they were not ordinary from the get-go. Mm -hmm. At one point, he doesn't know if he's on heaven or earth. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know what's going on. And because these like immovable, these, these magical enchanted dinner that he's having with these people, they're not people, mm -hmm. right? They're angels, they're flowers. What are they? We don't know what they are. Mm -hmm. and, this, and the aunts are winds. We don't know what they are. You know, are they the howling wind? Are they the haunting wind? You know, because we also name the winds. So they're also archetypes. Mm -hmm. So there are these archetypal structures that move through 
humanity since the beginning. And they talk about them in fairy tales. As we talk about the underworld, humanity has been talking about the underworld for ages. They've been telling us what they are. So the genius of Jung is that he said, hey, it's right here. People have been talking about it for centuries. <laughs> it's not like I discovered anything. It's right here. You guys just aren't reading it. This, these are the stories that we've told through millennia. And this is what the archetypes are. We've been trying to identify them from day one. Because they hint, they poke us and tell us, hey, hey, I'm right here. Can you see me? You can't see me. Can you see me? You can't see me. But I'm right here. So, you know, they're playful. They're engaging. They could also be aggressive. They could also be angry. They could also be very destructive. There, there is no like moral ground that they stand on. They're gods. So let's meet an animal with a twist. Yeah. So we have another story. <laughs> so, so, so an animal with a twist. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when. Um, when the anima takes over, you become very creative. So when I started like putting jam together, I, I was in the throes of the anima because she is, or we think of it, she's not a she, but the anima is creation. It's through her that we become creative. So the more, we're, the more we're embodied, the more we're able to sense that and it flows through us. The less we're embodied, the, the more outrageous, difficult. The, the anima is the one that comes in the dream and tells you a beautiful story and you wake up and you have a solution that you've been looking for for 10 years. She whispers in your ear, you get up all excited. It's like, oh, I saw this thing. I was like, oh, now I know how to solve this. Well, how do I know that? And that's the animal. She wakes you up. She makes you relational. And so there are these opposite complementary forces in the psyche that flow towards each other all the time. They attract each other. And they work in groups. It's just been um, reading von Franz, fascinating. So if anybody has not gotten this book, you really should. There's some great stories in here. And her understanding of the fairy tale is at really a deep level. She can elucidate a lot. Um, Dr. Tomlinson, you've been very quiet today. I'm listening and learning. Okay. Um, about archetypes. Archetypes. We should talk more about archetypes. Um, Lisa, any thoughts? Well, um, I'm interested to see the other, other aspects or subtle natures of what an anima. What is it? Let, let's, let's meet more of this magical daughter. <laughs> Ooh, the magical daughter. She is, she is uh, the creation of the gods. 
So the energy creates other energies. Like we create children and grandchildren. The energies do that. The energies, we mimic what they are in certain ways. We're not, we're not like them at all in other ways. It's, everybody knows imitation is the highest form of flattery, right? Where does that come from? <laughs> where does it come from? You've never thought about where it came from. It comes from them. They're our creators. They're the ones who put the spark in us. They're the ones who put that idea in our heads, that sparkle in our smile, that sword in our hand. They're the ones. So with that, any other thoughts? Um, I know this is kind of like a shortened episode. We've only done about 45 minutes, but any other thoughts today? No? no? Okay. Yeah. All right. As we say, as we always sign off with, to our dear listeners and to everybody around the world, I am not afraid. I am not afraid. I am not afraid. We are not afraid. And we are the Institute for Conflict. And this is the Individuation Podcast. I am Dr. Lahab Al-Samurai. And I will see you with uh, Dr. Eric Tomlinson and Dr. Lisa Hong next week. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the IFC's Individuation Podcast. We hope you enjoyed hearing from Eric, Lisa, and Dr. Al-Samurai. We'd also like to thank Eric and Lisa for taking the time to join us. You can also find us on YouTube at the Institute for Conflict. Tune in again next time to the IFC's Individuation Podcast for another episode soon. Mm-hmm.